Ephesians 2, you don't have to stand yet. <laughs> Ephesians 2 starts with three words. And they could have been, as for you, but I think they're said in love. They follow some words ahead of them in the previous chapter where Paul is reminding folks about how God has provided a plan and how Jesus is important as the leader of that plan and their salvation depended upon his sacrifice. And having said some words like that, he turns to them in love and says, As for you, will you stand please? Starting with chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who now is at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The word of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Gail. God's grace. When I was an associate um, years ago now, um, I remember the senior pastor I served under preached on grace for a year. It is one of those subjects that you can continue to draw upon and draw upon. You're going to get two. (laughs) But know that we're just scratching the surface. Um, This little piece that I found uh, entitled, God's grace is like lightning and transforms whoever it strikes. I kind of thought that was an interesting idea. Whoever wrote this said, Martin Luther found that out. Walking through the forest one day, praying and working through spiritual torment, literally, lightning did strike close by. That would be a wake-up call, wouldn't it? And he felt that as the summons of God. Luther came closer and when, when God sent the lightning strike, it was grace. 
It was what he needed to turn his life around. John Wesley found it out. Serving as a missionary in, the Georgia penal, in, a, in a Georgia penal colony, he was a miserable failure. He sailed home in distress, not sure what he would do with the rest of his life, but in a little chapel in Aldersgate Street in London, listening to someone comment on the Scripture, Wesley says that he felt his heart strangely warm and did know that Christ was his Savior. Wesley came closer, closer, and when the lightning struck and God got his attention, he found that it was grace, all grace and hope. Jim Voss found it out. As a professional criminal working for the Cohen gang in New York City, Voss chose to steal, swindle, maim, or even kill to get what he wanted. But there was a nagging feeling inside that it meant nothing. The things that do not satisfy. The FBI arrested Jim Voss and he was sent to prison. But in prison he heard the gospel and he knew it was for him. The last I knew, Jim Voss, ex-criminal, ex-con, was running a youth ministry in a place aptly called Hell's Kitchen. The lightning struck, and it was grace. So what is this thing we call grace? We hear a lot about grace in Christian circles. We, there are entire books written about grace. It's mentioned quite often in the writings of Paul. You might be surprised to know that Jesus himself never used the word, but he taught it and he lived it. The word itself is applied in a number of ways in our English language. Someone is said to move with grace. We might say athletes or dancers or people like that are are graceful. It can refer to good manners and consideration of others. People are gracious. It can refer to beautiful, well-chosen words, gracious speech. To show kindness, care, and mercy to others might be said to be gracious. Some say that we say grace when we pray for a meal. And it's even a name given to girls, generally. I have a cousin named Grace. Or we use it kind of to give people a hard time that might trip or stumble. We say things like, smooth move, Grace. (laughs) So what is grace? Well, Webster defines grace with such words as unmerited divine assistance. Approval, favor, mercy, pardon, and privilege. And those are all nice words, but it doesn't quite ring the same way if we were to say we are saved by God's divine assistance. It it, it leaves something, something unsaid, because if we are simply saved by God's divine assistance, that communicates that we help God in the saving act. He just kind of assists us somehow. But that's exactly what Paul says isn't the case. He says that God is the actor. It is all God. Grace, as Paul shared the the concept, means the completely undeserved loving commitment of God to us. For some unknown reason, 
That is rooted in the nature of who God is. Grace. God gives Himself to us. He attaches Himself to us and acts to rescue us. Because of His mercy and love, God saves us. And that saving is the result of God's grace. A.W. Tozer expanded on the idea of grace by saying, Grace is the good pleasure of God that inclines Him to bestow benefits on the undeserving. Grace is the good pleasure of God that inclines Him to bestow benefits on the undeserving. Burkhoff is more to the point when he says, Grace is the unmerited operation of God in the heart of man affected through the agency of the Holy Spirit. I'll read that one again. He says, the unmerit, it is, grace is the unmerited operation of God, unmerited, undeserved, operation of God in the heart of man affected through the agency or the work of the Holy Spirit. The key word in what these great minds have said about grace is the word unmerited, undeserved. Grace then is completely undeserved, And therefore, it leads to the conclusion that grace, in essence, is a free gift of God given to us through Jesus Christ. It's a free gift. So I went to, uh, to get a little better insight, I went to the Beacon Bible Commentary. That's a, uh, a Nazarene publication. Here's what the Beacon Bible Commentary says about grace. In the Christian sense, not the, you know, these other senses I gave you about tripping and smooth move grace or somebody's name or, or what you do when you pray for your meal, but in the Christian sense, grace is God's spontaneous, though unmerited, undeserved, love for sinful man, supremely revealed. So God's grace is supremely revealed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I saw that fist pump there. That's a whaley. It is not totally accurate to say that grace is the undeserved favor of God towards sinful man, especially if this is interpreted, interpreted statically. God's grace is dynamic. It is God's love in action, empowering those whom God regards with favor. The essence of the doctrine of grace is that although man deserves God's being against him, did you hear that? Although man deserves God's being against him, God is for him. In in a very specific and concrete way, God is for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? In the person of Jesus Christ, God has effectively acted. Through Him, rebellious man experiences the undeserved love of God and enters into relationship with Him. That's what the Beacon Bible Commentary says. Someone else has said this. You know, we're always looking for these neat little 
short definitions, not something lengthy like I just read to you. Someone has said, grace is everything for nothing to those who don't deserve anything. Huh? Grace is everything for nothing to those who don't deserve anything. An atheist once said, if there really is a God, may He prove Himself by striking me dead right now. Nothing happened. So the atheist proudly announced, you see, there is no God. His friend responded, you've only proved that He is a gracious God. So Paul tells us then in in the passage that Gail read for us this morning that God's grace is evident in salvation. And verses 1 through 3 in our our text explain to us why we need the grace of God. Let me read that for you again. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And that is not just long ago. In, in, in Ephesus, it's true right now today. It's true that there are those who are dead in their transgressions and sin. They're living in those transgressions and sins. They're following the ways of this world and the ruler of the king, kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. That's still going on right now today. Right? All of us who lived among them at one time, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature objects of wrath. So, what's going on here is Paul is talking to the Ephesians. And he's talking to Ephesians who have now accepted Jesus as Savior. They put their faith in Christ as Savior. And he's saying, this is what you once were. You were once objects of God's wrath. You were once dead in your sins, in your transgressions. But then there's this thing called grace. So, Paul is is, is talking to them about things he's talked to others about before. In Romans chapter 3.23, Romans 3.23, he says, For all have sinned and come short or fall short of the glory of God. In John chapter 3, verse 36, it says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. We were objects of wrath, he says. Romans 2.8 For those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. So Paul's laying it out. Here's why we needed the grace of God. Because these things, for what Paul says here and these things I've just shared from you from these other passages. Why do I need to be saved? Because I'm a sinner and the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from the life of God. I will experience the wrath of God if I don't put my faith in Jesus as Savior. I can never do enough to deserve salvation. You know, there's that thinking out there. We talked about it in Sunday school, didn't we, this morning? 
Well, some people think, you know, we operate in life on a little set of scales, or maybe a big set of scales. I don't know what their thinking is. But if you do enough good things to outweigh the bad things, you're going to make it. You're going to get to heaven. Not true. None of us can do enough good things to get us into heaven. In fact, this passage talks about that, doesn't it? We're fooling ourselves if we think that's so. In 2001, Reader's Digest asked Muhammad Ali what his faith meant to him. Remember, he joined the religion of Islam. He replied, it means a ticket to heaven. One day we're all going to die and God's going to judge us, our good and bad deeds. If the bad outweighs the good, you go to hell. If the good outweighs the bad, you go to heaven. And that, folks, is what a lot of people believe. But that's not what the Bible says. It's not by works. If it was by works, Jesus' death on the cross was a waste. Was a waste. Right? If we could earn our way to heaven, why did God sacrifice His Son on the cross? And say, well, the blood of Jesus is the only way to heaven when actually, if we, if we can pile up enough good stuff in our lives, we'll make it in. Ever thought about that? So the greatest blessing we receive as a result of God's grace is our salvation. Twice, in verses 5 and 8, Paul tells us, it is by grace you have been saved. But it doesn't mean much unless we understand what we've been saved from. Again, you were dead in your sins. And sometimes we have this idea that sin is not that big a deal. It's kind of like this small problem that we need to get over. I mean, hey, I blow it sometimes, but so does everyone else, so what's the big deal? Well, Paul says the big deal is that we're dead in sin and still are unless we're saved, unless we've accepted Jesus as Savior. And dead is not sick. Dead is dead. It's not a case of taking a pill and feeling better in the morning. It's a matter of dead with no life at all. Well, you might say, wait a minute, I'm alive. And in a physical sense, that's true. But spiritually, the Scripture tells us, without Christ, you are dead. We used to watch this crazy movie with the kid, the girls when they were growing up, uh, Princess Bride. It was this kind of a spoof thing. And I remember the hero of the movies, the bad guys get a hold of him and put, on this, put him on this machine that sucks the life out of him. And so they take the hero to Miracle Max. They need a miracle. And they said, our friend is dead. And Miracle Max said, no, he's only mostly dead. 
Folks, when the Scripture says dead, it doesn't mean mostly dead. It means dead. Spiritually dead. You're spiritually dead without the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And without the saving grace of Jesus Christ, the Scripture tells us that we will die eternally. Don't ask me how that works. To me, you know, when we think about death in the life we live, it's like, in a, you know, kind of like one moment you're here, the next moment you're dead. But the Scripture tells us without Jesus Christ we will die eternally. That doesn't sound, that's nothing I want any part of. It's, it's nothing we would, should want anyone we know to have any part of. Right? Hmm. So, that means that we acknowledge that the wages of sin is death. It also means we have to take a deep look at ourselves and see ourselves the way God sees us. And if we're in our sins and without Jesus, we need to see ourselves as dead spiritually, needing life. Only the life that only God gives us through Jesus Christ, through His grace. And Paul is clear about this. If we live in our sins, we don't accept Jesus, then here's what's in store for us. Wrath. That's what should come. But he says, for you, grace has come instead. I like that. Grace instead of wrath? Don't you like the sound of that? Thank you. Grace instead of wrath. E. Stanley Jones said this, Grace is free, but when once you take it, you're bound forever to the giver. Listen, we do not have to um, face the wrath of God if we've accepted Jesus because God poured His wrath out on His Son on the cross. Jesus took that for us. That's God's grace at work on our behalf. Christ died and paid the penalty of my sin that I might live. That is grace. Remember the, uh, the, the movie with Tom Hanks, Saving Private Ryan. So it's, a, it's about a group of, of army rangers and they receive a mission to go deep into... To, enemy territory to save Private Ryan because he's now the sole surviving son. His brothers have all been killed in action. And on their way to find Private Ryan, they hit skirmish after skirmish and some of the rangers are killed along the way. And they finally get to where Private Ryan is holed up with his his group, and they say, come with us, we're here to save you. And, and he tells them, I'm not going, I have to stay here because there's a big battle coming up and I'm not going to abandon my fellow soldiers. And what do the rangers do? They all stay and fight. And almost everyone dies except Private Ryan. And at the end, Tom Hanks, he's a Captain Miller, and, and he's, he's, he's hit and he's dying. But the battle has been won and Private Ryan leans over him and Tom Hanks whispers in his ear because of all that's been done and the lives that have been given, earn this. And a Christian pastor who was a 
former army ranger has written this, it's very unlikely that any ranger would say, earn this. Why? Because the ranger motto for the past 200 years has been, I chose this. In other words, I volunteered for this. So if Tom Hanks was really a ranger, he would have said, I chose this. You don't have to earn this. I gave up my life for you. That's my job. Sound familiar? And so when you look at the cross and see Jesus hanging there, what you don't hear is earn this. What He says is, I chose this. You don't have to pay anything for it. That, folks, is grace. So that's what God has done for us. Why would He do this for us? Well, He tells us because his, of His great love for us. That's why He did that for us. Remember the song, Amazing Love, How Can It Be That Thou, My God, Should Die For Me? The result of this great act of grace gives us eternal life and a restored relationship with the God who created us. It means we, according to the Scripture, it says we are seated in the heavenly realms with Christ, perhaps not Yet in the fullness that we will experience one day, we were seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. And so we are, and so we are Christians, re- recipients of God's grace already, made alive by His grace. But, but God wants us to know more and more how great and incomparably rich His grace towards us is. And so that's why He, he goes on, Paul goes on to tell us in verses 8 through 10, how extensive God's grace for us is. He wants us to know how extensive and all encompassing God's grace really is. And so, in verse 8, Paul reminds us again that we are saved by grace. And he tells us that we are saved by grace through faith. We are only saved when we trust what God in Christ did for us. And we understand that what Christ did for us is true and that it is necessary. And that we need to rely on Him rather than ourselves. We need Him to be in charge of our lives to, as we say, sit on the throne of our lives rather than ourselves. We have to move. Remember that thing that used to say, God is my co-pilot, and there was another one that said, no, God's my pilot, I'm the co-pilot. God's in charge. We need to give God control of our lives. And that's a tough thing to do. Because we like to be in control. We talked about, again, we talked about that in Sunday school this morning. We are in a culture that wants to be in control. We want to determine how we live our lives. We want to be able to do what we want to do. Right? It's just not that 
it's natural for us to want to be in control. And, and if not over others, at least over our own lives. So, so faith in God is not a normal thing for us. So, even the faith that we have is a gift of God's grace. Right? Even the faith we have is a gift of God's grace. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Even faith is not our own doing. Wow. And, and then Paul goes on to say that God's grace is evident in His kindness towards us. The Greek word used there means good, forbearance, and gentleness. It, it, is, it is the grace which pervades the whole nature. This is now speaking of God, God's grace. It is the grace which pervades His whole nature, mellowing all which would have been harsh and austere. And that's what we deserved was harshness. Wrath. Remember, that's what it says. That's pretty harsh. And Paul says, in coming ages, God's kindness would be expressed to us in Jesus Christ. In coming ages... That's us. We're in the coming ages. I mean, don't you think coming ages, Paul was kind of looking down the road and say, God's grace will be expressed to people in coming ages. That's us. So how have you experienced God's kindness expressed in Jesus? Just take a, think about that for a moment. How have you experienced God's kindness expressed in Jesus? You have experienced God's kindness expressed in Jesus, right? Any volunteers? Healing. Pardon? Spiritual healing. Thank you. Comfort. Peace. Presence. His presence with us. God's kindness to us expressed through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.3 Here I think are some examples of God's kindness to us through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.3 Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ here we go, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Sound good? Think that's God's kindness to us through Jesus Christ? Let's try Second Peter verse, chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Do you think that's God's kindness to us? To provide everything we need for a godly life? Well, let's try Acts fourteen seventeen. 
Paul is speaking to a group of people that he'd gone to missionize. And he says to them, speaking of God, yet he has not left himself without a testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you... Now, this is what we might call real practical everyday stuff. Okay? We're not talking spiritual anymore, although that's the more important. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your heart with joy. Wow! That's God's kindness through Jesus Christ. Romans 2 Verse 4. Or do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? You ever see God's kindness that way? His kindness leads us to repentance. The kindness of God expressed through Jesus Christ in the coming ages, ages. And we are recipients of that kindness. We've experienced it in our own lives. And then he goes on to say, God's grace is evident in that we are His workmanship. See, God's grace just keeps going farther and farther We are God's workmanship created in Christ. When we are born again, we become God's workmanship. A precious work of art created by God Himself. You are God's workmanship. Not a poor copy or a cheap reproduction, but an original work of art by a master. Think of yourself that way. So what does that mean? Well, first of all, God's grace enables us to live as God's child. Think about when you accepted Jesus as Savior. Did you ever wonder, will I be able to live a Christian life? Will I be a good witness for Jesus or Well, I hurt the name of Jesus. Well, we can live the Christian life and we can be a good witness, but only through the grace of God. 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. God makes us who we are. Even our character and attitudes are the work of God. The fruit of the Spirit is just what it says. It's the work of the Spirit. It's not my fruit. It's not Julie's fruit. It's not Dean's fruit. It's God's fruit. That's His grace at work in us. Amen? Even our spiritual growth is by the grace of God. Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, this is Paul speaking to the people of the church in Philippi, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. Our growth is a product of God's grace at work in us. 
And then God enables us as His workmanship to serve Him and others. Verse 10 tells us that we were created to do good works. God made us in such a way that we can be useful tools used by Him. Do you ever walk away from a situation where you've had an encounter with somebody or been involved in service of some kind and you walk away and say, wow, I think God just used me. That happens to me. I walk away and say, wow, God just used me. I'm always kind of amazed by that. I probably shouldn't be. Well, let's say I can be amazed. I shouldn't be surprised. Right? We can be useful tools used by Him. 2 Corinthians 9.8 And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Wow. God uses me. Grace abounds in us, it overflows in us, so that our good works will abound or overflow. The good works that God does through us by the power of His Holy Spirit at work in us. And the gifts and abilities that God gives us to use in His work are by God's grace. Here we go again. Romans 12.6 We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If If it is giving to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If If it is showing mercy, let him do it joyfully. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. And here's kind of a... The good works were prepared in advance for us to do. God's got it all laid out. God knew what He wanted Bob Evans to do. I didn't know cookies were part of that, but I'm glad. (laughs) And Bob's doing what God prepared in advance for him to do. And a lot of us are doing that very thing. Now, Julie and I talk quite often about the folks in our church who just day in, day out, week in, week out, They're in the trenches doing their thing that God has called them to do. Engaged in the works that God has prepared in advance for them to do. And sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes your back hurts. Sometimes your back hurts. Sometimes you're feeling a little... Because something's gone... But people just keep coming and do what God called them to do because He had work prepared for them and they're engaged in that work and it's... By His grace that God prepared, you are useful in the kingdom.
God's grace is everything. We cannot boast in anything except Jesus Christ Himself and what He's done for us. In faith, in who we are, in the gifts He's given us, and the work, in the work He's called us to do, in our blessings, God's grace is incomparable. How wonderful He is. Philip Yancey in his books, What's So Amazing About Grace, shares this. During a British conference on comparative religions, experts from around the world debated what, if any, belief was unique to the Christian faith. They began eliminating possibilities. Incarnation. Hmm. Other religions had different versions of gods appearing in human form. Boop, out with that one. Um, resurrection. Again, other religions had accounts of return from death. Out with that one. The, ba- the debate went on some time until C.S. Lewis entered the room. What's the commotion about, he asked, and heard in reply that his colleagues were discussing Christianity's unique contribution among the world's religion. Lewis responded, oh, that's easy. It's grace. The notion of God's love coming to free us of, our, of the charge of sin against us, no strings attached, seems to go against every instinct of humanity. You know, some people have a hard time accepting, they just can't believe that that's what you have to do, accept God's gift. There's got to be something I've got to do. I mean some hoops to jump through or some penance to pay or something, a free gift, just accept what Jesus did on the cross for me. But that's exactly what it is. It's a, it's a free gift. You know, the Buddhists have the Eightfold Path and the Hindus have the Doctrine of Karma and, and the Jews still the Mosaic Covenant and Muslims a Code of Law. And each of these offers a way to earn God's approval. If I just do this and this and this and this and this and this. Only Christianity dares to make God's love and His salvation unconditional. Just come to me. You who are labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. I will give you forgiveness. Accept what I've done for you through Jesus on the cross. That's my grace. Undeserved. Unmerited. We can't earn it. We just accept it. Now, this works thing, we don't earn it by works, but when we have Jesus in our heart, we do what He's called us to do, don't we? Because it's a response. We're living sacrifices for His use. Amen? That's God's grace working through us again, isn't it? Aren't you thankful for God's grace this morning? Praise God. It truly is amazing grace. Let's thank God for it, shall we? Father, we give you praise this morning for your amazing grace to us, at work in us, at work through us, and the lives of others that you are drawing to yourself. Because you are not willing that any should perish, 
but that all should come to repentance. Oh, Lord God, that we would be willing to share the good news of Your amazing grace, Your eternal love, Your forgiveness with people that we come in contact with. The truth of Scripture, the amazing grace of God. May we be conduits of Your grace to others. So that as we have received grace in our lives, then that grace flows through us to touch the lives of others. For we should not want anyone to have to experience the wrath of God. No, no, no. We want them to know His salvation, His peace, His joy, His forgiveness, His purpose for our lives. Oh God, may we give You thanks for Your grace. May we be ministers of Your grace. In Jesus' name, in whom we pray all these things. Amen.